Chapter Sixteen of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Return of Spring, Appearance of Snakes, Great Flights of Wild Pigeons, Renewal of the Voyage, Night Encampments, Platte River, Ceremonials on Passing It, Signs of Indian War Parties, Magnificent Prospect at Papillion Creek desertion of two hunters an eruption into the camp of indian desperadoes village of the omahas anecdotes of the tribe feudal wars of the indians story of blackbird the famous omaha chief the weather continued rainy and ungenial for some days after mr hunt's return to nodawa yet spring was rapidly advancing and vegetation was putting forth with all its early freshness and beauty the snakes began to recover from their torpor and crawl forth into day and the neighbourhood of the wintering-house seemed to have been much infested with them mr bradbury in the course of his botanical researches found a surprising number in the half-torpid state under flat stones upon the banks which overhung the cantonment and narrowly escaped being struck by a rattlesnake which darted at him from a cleft in the rock but fortunately gave him warning by his rattle the pigeons too were filling the woods in vast migratory flocks it is almost incredible to describe the prodigious flights of these birds in the western wildernesses they appear absolutely in clouds and move with astonishing velocity their wings making a whistling sound as they fly the rapid evolutions of these flocks wheeling and shifting suddenly as if with one mind and one impulse the flashing changes of colour they present as their backs their breasts or the under part of their wings are turned to the spectator are singularly pleasing when they alight if on the ground they cover whole acres at a time if upon trees the branches often break beneath their weight if suddenly startled while feeding in the midst of a forest the noise they make in getting on the wing is like the roar of a cataract or the sound of distant thunder a flight of this kind like an egyptian flight of locusts devours everything that serves for its food as it passes along so great were the numbers in the vicinity of the camp that mr bradbury in the course of a morning's excursion shot nearly three hundred with a fowling piece he gives a curious though apparently a faithful account of the kind of discipline observed in these immense flocks so that each may have a chance of picking up food as the front ranks must meet with the greatest abundance and the rear ranks must have scanty pickings the instant a rank finds itself the hindmost it rises in the air flies over the whole flock and takes its place in the advance the next rank follows in its course and thus the last is continually becoming first and all by turns have a front place at the banquet the rains having at length subsided mr hunt broke up the encampment and resumed his course up the missouri the party now consisted of nearly sixty persons of whom five were partners one john reed was a clerk forty were canadian voyageurs or engagés and there were several hunters they embarked in four boats one of which was of a large size mounting a swivel and two howitzers all were furnished with masts and sails to be used when the wind was sufficiently favourable and strong to overpower the current of the river 
such was the case for the first four or five days when they were wafted steadily up the stream by a strong south-easter their encampments at night were often pleasant and picturesque on some beautiful bank beneath spreading trees which afforded them shelter and fuel the tents were pitched the fires made and the meals prepared by the voyageurs and many a story was told and joke passed and song sung round the evening fire all however were asleep at an early hour some under the tents others wrapped in blankets before the fire or beneath the trees and some few in the boats and canoes on the twenty-eighth they breakfasted on one of the islands which lie at the mouth of the nebraska or platte river the largest tributary of the missouri and about six hundred miles above its confluence with the mississippi this broad but shallow stream flows for an immense distance through a wide and verdant valley scooped out of boundless prairies it draws its main supplies by several forks or branches from the rocky mountains the mouth of this river is established as the dividing point between the upper and lower missouri and the earlier voyagers in their toilsome ascent before the introduction of steamboats considered one half of their labors accomplished when they reached this place the passing of the mouth of the nebraska therefore was equivalent among boatmen to the crossing of the line among sailors and was celebrated with like ceremonials of a rough and waggish nature practised upon the uninitiated among which was the old nautical joke of shaving the river deities however like those of the sea were to be propitiated by a bribe and the infliction of these rude honours to be parried by a treat to the adepts at the mouth of the nebraska new signs were met with of war parties which had recently been in the vicinity there was the frame of a skin canoe in which the warriors had traversed the river at night also the lurid reflection of immense fires hung in the sky showing the conflagration of great tracts of the prairies such fires not being made by hunters so late in the season it was supposed they were caused by some wandering war parties these often take the precaution to set the prairies on fire behind them to conceal their traces from their enemies this is chiefly done when the party has been unsuccessful and is on the retreat and apprehensive of pursuit at such time it is not safe even for friends to fall in with them as they are apt to be in savage humour and disposed to vent their spleen in capricious outrage these signs therefore of a band of marauders on the prowl called for some degree of vigilance on the part of the travellers after passing the nebraska the party halted for part of two days on the bank of the river a little above papillion creek to supply themselves with a stock of oars and poles from the tough wood of the ash which is not met with higher up the missouri while the voyagers were, were thus occupied the naturalists rambled over the adjacent country to collect plants from the summit of a range of bluffs on the opposite side of the river about two hundred and fifty feet high they had one of those vast and magnificent prospects which sometimes unfold themselves in those boundless regions below them was the valley of the missouri about seven miles in breadth clad in the fresh verdure of spring enamelled with flowers and interspersed with clumps and groves of noble trees between which the mighty river poured its turbulent and turbid stream 
the interior of the country presented a singular scene the immense waste being broken up by innumerable green hills not above eight feet in height but extremely steep and actually pointed at their summits a long line of bluffs extended for upwards of thirty miles parallel to the missouri with a shallow lake stretching along their base which had evidently once formed a bed of the river the surface of this lake was covered with aquatic plants on the broad leaves of which numbers of water snakes drawn forth by the genial warmth of spring were basking in the sunshine on the second day of may at the usual hour of embarking the camp was thrown into some confusion by two of the hunters named harrington expressing their intention to abandon the expedition and return home one of these had joined the party in the preceding autumn having been hunting for two years on the missouri the other had engaged at st louis in the following march and had come up from thence with mr hunt he now declared that he had enlisted merely for the purpose of following his brother and persuading him to return having been enjoined to do so by his mother whose anxiety had been awakened by the idea of his going on such a wild and distant expedition the loss of two stark hunters and prime riflemen was a serious affair to the party for they were approaching the region where they might expect hostilities from the sioux indeed throughout the whole of their perilous journey the services of such men would be all-important for little reliance was to be placed upon the valour of the canadians in case of attack mr hunt endeavoured by arguments expostulations and entreaties to shake the determination of the two brothers he represented to them that they were between six and seven hundred miles above the mouth of the missouri that they would have four hundred miles to go before they could reach the habitation of a white man throughout which they would be exposed to all kinds of risks since he declared if they persisted in abandoning him and breaking their faith he would not furnish them with a single round of ammunition all was in vain they obstinately persisted in their resolution whereupon mr hunt partly incited by indignation partly by the policy of deterring others from desertion put his threat into execution and left them to find their way back to the settlements without as he supposed a single bullet or charge of powder the boats now continued their slow and toilsome course for several days against the current of the river the late signs of roaming war parties caused a vigilant watch to be kept up at night when the crews encamped on shore nor was this vigilance superfluous for on the night of the seventh instant there was a wild and fearful yell and eleven sioux warriors stark naked with tomahawks in their hands rushed into the camp they were instantly surrounded and seized whereupon their leader called out to his followers to desist from any violence and pretended to be perfectly pacific in his intentions it proved however that they were a part of the war party the skeleton of whose canoe had been seen at the mouth of the river platte and the reflection of whose fires had been descried in the air they had been disappointed or defeated in the foray and in their rage and mortification these eleven warriors had devoted their clothes to the medicine this is a desperate act of indian braves when foiled in war and in dread of scoffs and sneers in such case they sometimes throw off their clothes and ornaments devote themselves to the great spirit and attempt some reckless exploit with which to cover their disgrace 
woe to any defenceless party of white men that may then fall in their way such was the explanation given by pierre dorian the half-breed interpreter of this wild intrusion into the camp and the party were so exasperated when appraised of the sanguinary intentions of the prisoners that they were for shooting them on the spot mr hunt however exerted his usual moderation and humanity and ordered that they should be conveyed across the river in one of the boats threatening them however with certain death if again caught in any hostile act on the tenth of may the party arrived at the omaha village about eight hundred and thirty miles above the mouth of the missouri and encamped in its neighborhood the village was situated under a hill on the bank of the river and consisted of about eighty lodges these were of a circular and conical form and about sixteen feet in diameter being mere tents of dressed buffalo skins sewed together and stretched on long poles inclined toward each other so as to cross at about half their height thus the naked tops of the poles diverge in such a manner that if they were covered with skins like the lower ends the tent would be shaped like an hourglass and present the appearance of one cone inverted on the apex of another the forms of indian lodges are worthy of attention each tribe having a different mode of shaping and arranging them so that it is easy to tell on seeing a lodge or an encampment at a distance to what tribe the inhabitants belong the exterior of the omaha lodges have often a gay and fanciful appearance being painted with undulating bands of red or yellow or decorated with rude figures of horses deer and buffaloes and with human faces painted like full moons four and five feet broad the omahas were once one of the numerous and powerful tribes of the prairies vying in warlike might and prowess with the sioux the pawnees the sauks the kansas and the iatans their wars with the sioux however had thinned their ranks and the smallpox in eighteen o two had swept off two-thirds of their number at the time of mr hunt's visit they still boasted about two hundred warriors and hunters but they are now fast melting away and before long will be numbered among those extinguished nations of the west that exist but in tradition in his correspondence with mr astor from this point of his journey mr hunt gives a sad account of the indian tribes bordering on the river they were in continual war with each other and their wars were of the most harassing kind consisting not merely of main conflicts and expeditions of moment involving the sackings burnings and massacres of towns and villages but of individual acts of treachery murder and cold-blooded cruelty or of vaunting and foolhardy exploits of single warriors either to avenge some personal wrong or gain the vainglorious trophy of a scalp the lonely hunter the wandering wayfarer the poor squaw cutting wood or gathering corn was liable to be surprised and slaughtered in this way tribes were either swept away at once or gradually thinned out and savage life was surrounded with constant horrors and alarms that the race of red men should diminish from year to year and so few should survive of the numerous nations which evidently once peopled the vast regions of the west it is nothing surprising it is rather a matter of surprise that so many should survive for the existence of a savage in these parts seems little better than a prolonged and all-besetting death 
it is in fact a caricature of the boasted romance of feudal times chivalry in its native and uncultured state and knight-errantry run wild in their most prosperous days the omahas looked upon themselves as the most powerful and perfect of human beings and considered all created things as made for their peculiar use and benefit it is this tribe of whose chief the famous washingasaba or blackbird such savage and romantic stories are told he had died about ten years previous to the arrival of mr hunt's party but his name was still mentioned with awe by his people he was one of the first among the indian chiefs on the missouri to deal with the white traders and showed great sagacity in levying his royal dues when a trader arrived in his village he caused all his goods to be brought into his lodge and opened from these he selected whatever suited his sovereign pleasure blankets tobacco whiskey powder ball beads and red paint and laid the articles on one side without deigning to give any compensation then calling to him his herald or crier he would order him to mount on top of the lodge and summon all the tribe to bring in their peltries and trade with the white man the lodge would soon be crowded with indians bringing bear beaver otter and other skins no one was allowed to dispute the prices fixed by the white trader upon his articles who took care to indemnify himself five times over for the goods set apart by the chief in this way the blackbird enriched himself and enriched the white men and became exceedingly popular among the traders of the missouri his people however were not equally satisfied by a regulation of trade which worked so manifestly against them and began to show signs of discontent upon this a crafty and unprincipled trader revealed a secret to the blackbird by which he might acquire unbounded sway over his ignorant and superstitious subjects he instructed him in the poisonous qualities of arsenic and furnished him with an ample supply of that baneful drug from this time the blackbird seemed endowed with supernatural powers to possess the gift of prophecy and to hold the disposal of life and death within his hands woe to any one who questioned his authority or dared to dispute his commands the blackbird prophesied his death within a certain time and he had the secret means of verifying his prophecy within the fated period the offender was smitten with strange and sudden disease and perished from the face of the earth every one stood aghast at these multiplied examples of his superhuman might and dreaded to displease so omnipotent and vindictive a being and the blackbird enjoyed a wide and undisputed sway it was not however by terror alone that he ruled his people he was a warrior of the first order and his exploits in arms were the theme of young and old his career had begun by hardships having been taken prisoner by the sioux in early youth under his command the omahas obtained great character for military prowess nor did he permit an insult or an injury to one of his tribe to pass unrevenged the pawnee republicans had inflicted a gross indignity on a favorite and distinguished omaha brave the blackbird assembled his warriors led them against the pawnee town attacked it with irresistible fury slaughtered a great number of its inhabitants and burned it to the ground he waged fierce and bloody war against the autos for many years 
until peace was effected between them by the mediation of the whites fearless in battle and fond of signalizing himself he dazzled his followers by daring acts in attacking a kanza village he rode singly around it loading and discharging his rifle at the inhabitants as he galloped past them he kept up in war the same idea of mysterious and supernatural power at one time when pursuing a war party by their tracks across the prairies he repeatedly discharged his rifle into the prints made by their feet and by the hoofs of their horses assuring his followers that he would thereby cripple the fugitives so that they would easily be overtaken he in fact did overtake them and destroyed them almost to a man and his victory was considered miraculous both by friends and foe by these and similar exploits he made himself the pride and boast of his people and became popular among them notwithstanding his death-denouncing fiat with all his savage and terrific qualities he was sensible of the power of female beauty and capable of love a war-party of the Poncas had made a foray into the lands of the omahas and carried off a number of women and horses the blackbird was roused to fury and took the field with all his braves swearing to eat up the ponca nation the indian threat of exterminating war Poncas, sorely pressed took refuge behind a rude bulwark of earth but the blackbird kept up so galling a fire that he seemed likely to execute his menace in their extremity they sent forth a herald bearing the calumet or pipe of peace but he was shot down by order of the blackbird another herald was sent forth in similar guise but he shared a like fate the ponca chief then as a last hope arrayed his beautiful daughter in her finest ornaments and sent her forth with a calumet to sue for peace the charms of the indian maid touched the stern heart of the blackbird and he accepted the pipe at her hand smoked it and from that time a peace took place between the poncas and the omahas this beautiful damsel in all probability was the favorite wife whose fate makes so tragic an incident in the story of the blackbird her youth and beauty had gained an absolute sway over his rugged heart so that he distinguished her above all of his other wives the habitual gratification of his vindictive impulses however had taken away from him all mastery over his passions and rendered him liable to the most furious transports of rage in one of these his beautiful wife had the misfortune to offend him when suddenly drawing his knife he laid her dead at his feet with a single blow in an instant his frenzy was at an end he gazed for a time in mute bewilderment upon his victim then drawing his buffalo robe over his head he sat down beside the corpse and remained brooding over his crime and his loss three days elapsed yet the chief continued silent and motionless tasting no food and apparently sleepless it was apprehended that he intended to starve himself to death his people approached him in trembling awe and entreated him once more to uncover his face and be comforted but he remained unmoved 
at length one of his warriors brought in a small child and laying it on the ground placed the foot of the blackbird upon its neck the heart of the gloomy savage was touched by this appeal he threw aside his robe made a harangue upon what he had done and from that time forward seemed to have thrown the load of grief and remorse from his mind he still retained his fatal and mysterious secret and with it his terrific power but though able to deal death to his enemies he could not avert it from himself or his friends in eighteen o two the smallpox that dreadful pestilence which swept over the land like a fire over the prairie made its appearance in the village of the omahas the poor savages saw with dismay the ravages of a malady loathsome and agonizing in its details and which set the skill and experience of their conjurers and medicine men at defiance in a little while two-thirds of the population were swept from the face of the earth and the doom of the rest seemed sealed the stoicism of the warriors was at an end they became wild and desperate some set fire to the village as a last means of checking the pestilence others in a frenzy of despair put their wives and children to death that they might be spared the agonies of an inevitable disease and that they might all go to some better country when the general horror and dismay was at its height the blackbird himself was struck down with the malady the poor savages when they saw their chief in danger forgot their own miseries and surrounded his dying bed his dominant spirit and his love for the white men were evinced in his latest breath with which he designated his place of sepulture it was to be on a hill or promontory upwards of four hundred feet in height overlooking the great extent of the missouri from whence he had been accustomed to watch for the barks of the white men the missouri washes the base of the promontory and after winding and doubling in many links and mazes in the plain below returns to within nine hundred yards of its starting place so that for thirty miles navigating with sail and oar the voyager finds himself continually near to this singular promontory as if spellbound it was the dying command of the blackbird that his tomb should be on the summit of this hill in which he should be interred seated on his favorite horse that he might overlook his ancient domain and behold the barks of the white men as they came up the river to trade with his people his dying orders were faithfully obeyed his corpse was placed astride of his war steed and a mound raised over them on the summit of the hill on the top of the mound was erected a staff from which fluttered the banner of the chieftain and the scalps that he had taken in battle when the expedition under mr hunt visited that part of the country the staff still remained with the fragments of the banner and the superstitious rite of placing food from time to time on the mound for the use of the deceased was still observed by the omahas that rite has since fallen into disuse for the tribe itself is almost extinct yet the hill of the blackbird continues an object of veneration to the wandering savage and a landmark to the voyager of the missouri and as the civilized traveller comes within sight of its spell-bound crest the mound is pointed out to him from afar which still encloses the grim skeletons of the indian warrior and his horse End of chapter sixteen